are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Somebody say, Amen. Amen this morning. Turn in your Bibles with me. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1 today. I want to talk to you about the revelation of Jesus Christ over the next several weeks. Talking about Christ revealed. Christ revealed. I have no other goal today, no fancy sermon, other than just to glorify Jesus Christ. Amen? And uh, that's what we want to do today. Jesus Christ, the revelation of who God is. And uh, that is so very important for us to know today. Because is the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ still meaningful? Is it still relevant to a new generation? Is it still meaningful? Is it still relevant to this generation today? And what is the natural response to receiving the revelation of Jesus Christ? What, is, what should really happen in us when you really discover who He is, what He has done, and what He said about you and I? Uh, and I want us to dig into that over these next several weeks because I, I think today there's this great problem. And it's been a problem since the very beginning. Even before Jesus came onto the earth, there has been a rebellion against God from us, falling back, going back as far as the garden. But even especially since Jesus has come today, this widespread rebellion, and that word is called apostasy. It's this widespread rebellion that we forsake the worshiping of God. Uh, and it's come, uh, the Bible says it's going to get worse in these last days before Christ's return. And then Second Thessalonians chapter 2 says there'll be this great falling away. As the church grows brighter and brighter, there'll be this great falling away. And you can see it even in the last five years. The Pew uh, Research Society uh, that does a lot of studies on the church, they just came out with this study just this week. They said over the last five years, just the last five years, from 2010 to 2015, nine million Christians left the faith. Nine million people left the faith in just the last five years, and they are projecting another eight million to leave in the next five years. And so we see 17 million people over a 10-year period leaving the church. If that's not a great falling away, I don't know what is. Because the number one factor in that is what we see is that there is a uh, generation of older folks like you and I who have been raised in the church or are in the church and are now having children or grandchildren. But our children and our children's children are not staying in the church. And we see this generational gap. And the question is today, is the truth of Jesus Christ still relevant for a new generation? Somebody say, it is. Amen. And, and uh, the second most biggest factor of this great falling away is that there are the saints of God who are falling away into their own lust and pleasures, falling away into worldly ideologies, but falling into their own selfish desires. And I would gather to say that most of them uh, have not willfully chosen the left to leave the church, but have simply chose to follow themselves. I choose to cheat on my spouse. I choose to not attend a church every week. I choose to pursue these avenues of wealth rather than give to the assembly of God. I choose more to invest my time and resources into these things. And f- soon enough, we see these so many 
So many leaving the church today. Now, let me tell you this. The church is growing at exponential rate around the world. Despite these trends, the church continues to grow. That's what we call a great revival as well. The church is growing exponentially around the world. But let me tell you, there is a great falling away happening while we speak today. And the question is, are you unshakable in your faith? Come what may, will you remain with Jesus Christ because you've got a true revelation of Him? Is your family and is your children secure in Christ? Will they stick with you through thick or thin? And today, I want us to get to a place of confidence in who Christ is and why it matters. Who is Jesus Christ and why does it matter that we worship Him? And I want us to ask ourselves these questions. Have we had a proper revelation of Jesus Christ? What confidence and what faith and what hope, what devotion do I place in Him? Is He bigger, really bigger than my circumstances? Is He bigger than my wants, my desires? Do we still have an awe of Jesus Christ? Is there something in me that sees an awe, a majesty, a glory, an honor in Him? That I take Him and His Word seriously? Uh, Or perhaps today I need to examine to determine if I'm playing with church or I'm playing with sin. Because let me tell you, there is an awe of Jesus Christ. And He will be either awe-inspiring one day, face-to-face, or He will be awful. I want us to get to the place where we wake up to the steadfast worship of Jesus Christ. So we're going to talk today, the revelation of Jesus Christ, who is the Messiah. It demands a life of worship, but the failure to do so brings judgment upon oneself. Look with me in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. If you're there, somebody say, Amen. 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 Let's take a look today, and this is what we're doing today. I want us to just take a look. There's a lot of things that man said about Jesus. There's actually a lot of things in Scripture, and we've looked at this before at Sanctuary, that Jesus said about Himself. But I want us to look at what God the Father said about His Son. That's what we're going to do today. That's my only agenda today. Because what is it really like when a dad praises his son? Think about it. When a dad praises his son... It is the greatest glory, the greatest exaltation of that young man that his dad praised him. That's what he looks for in life. And it's also the greatest honor or award, reward that a father can bestow on a son. You can give your kids a lot of things and toys and four-wheelers and and guns or purses and clothes, but to praise them verbally, to lift them up, that's the greatest thing you as a parent can do. And that's the greatest thing that child can receive from you. And we see the Father doing this throughout all of Scripture. And I want us to understand today that God has never said of anyone what He said of Jesus Christ. And if God has put so much emphasis into Jesus Christ and revealed Himself through His Son, that gives us this great importance. It puts such great importance on Jesus Christ and shows us why He must have first place in your heart. And in my heart, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, God, after he spoke long ago and to the fathers and the prophets in many portions, in many ways, in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son, 
whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature. He upholds all things by the word of his power. And when he's made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. Today, God's revelation of Jesus Christ, the revelation of Jesus Christ tells us why we should worship him. What the Father says about Jesus Christ and the great importance he places on his Son tells us and inspires us of the awe that why we should worship him. Let's look at that. Through, we're going to look through creation to the resurrection today of why we should worship Jesus Christ. Look at verse 10 in chapter 1 of Hebrews. I'm going to read a lot of Scripture today. You do not have to follow along with me. Just listen to these words. But I will continue to be in Hebrews 1, so just kind of stick there with me. Verse 10, he says, "Uh, And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, the heavens and the works of your hands. They will all perish, but you will remain. And they will all become old like a garment, and like a mantle you'll roll them up. Like a garment, they'll also be changed. But you, speaking of Jesus, are the same, and your years will not come to an end. Will, where, where will you be with, think about separate yourself from as the Christian, and I know about the plans he has for me, but you alone, where would you be in 10,000 years? Where would you be in 10,000 years on your own power? I think about uh, what, what power do I have that has not been given to me by God? The blood that pumps through my veins, the heart that is beating continuously, the breath that comes out of my, my lungs is all by the grace of and power of God. He spoke all things into existence, and it's by Him all things are being held together, that the moon and the stars and the sun, everything is being held by the very Word of God. Now what can you do with your spoken Word? I think about, uh, what will I be able to say if the earth trembles? What could I do when that tornado came through LaSalle Parish this week? Could I go out there and say anything to it of my own power and tell it to go away? Here is the God who made the, the oceans, the seas, the waves, the storms, who silences them at a spoken word. And, and I think about, should the sky fall or should death call me? What will I say to him? What could I say to death that would keep him at bay? Here's the God who forms the universe Colossians says it this way, He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. It's by Him all things that were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether it be thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. And look at this, verse 17 in Colossians 1. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is before all things, And in Him, all things hold together. My question for us today is, is He before you? Is He before me? And in Him is all my life held together. Is He the one that holds me together? Is He the one that is before me, above me, and and the one that I look to as the source of life and existence? My reality on this world is through Jesus Christ. There is a great... uh, error today that that would tell us in this uh, temporary fad, I'll tell you, of atheism. 
that there is no God, there, there is only this world, there is only this reality, there is only this time, and what power you have, you better use it for your benefit. Let me tell you today, that is a lie from the pit of hell, because there is a God who is before all things, and in Him, all things are held together. He is the Creator, Christ. He is also the Word. The Bible says in the Old Testament, God began to prophesy and give the Old Testament uh, prophets and early church fathers, or early fathers, His Word, His covenant. He would give His covenant through Adam. He would give it through uh, Noah. The no- uh, he would give it through Abraham. He would give it through David. All these pieces. And each one would get a unique revelation that Jesus Christ would come. And then He would uh, give us the illustration of the tabernacle and the temple and every element Every element of that tabernacle from the brazen altar to the altar of incense to the veil of the curtain to the mercy seat would all illustrate Jesus is coming. This is the God begin to speak through these things in shadows and types about His Son from the very beginning. So He gives His Son the authority over creation and then He begins to tell the world that He's coming. Hebrews chapter 1, look in verse 8. He says, of the Son, He says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The righteous scepter is the scepter of His kingdom. You've loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. What does that really mean? God began to prophesy of His Son. This is the, my Son. I'm going to give Him an eternal kingdom. And through Him, He is going to crush the serpent's head. And through Him, there will be a great descendants of faith children of faith, and through Him, He is going to uh, uh, win all authority and all the power. I'm going to give it to Him on an eternal throne, and I'm going to anoint Him with the oil of gladness, meaning I'm anointing Him as the Davidic King, the eternal King who will rule and reign over my kingdom for all eternity. And these are the things the Father is saying of the Son. And so God, He says, I send my Son, and it says, then the Word, John tells us, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld, we beheld, we saw His glory, the the revelation of God, full of grace and truth. The, The Son of God came to earth, and while God had given dreams and visions, and He had sent angels, and even He spoke directly to a few, even like Moses and Abraham and and Noah, God began to speak directly to them, but He never spoke like He spoke about and through His Son. Jesus comes and begins to give us the greatest illustration, the greatest revelation of who God is. And that's why Jesus is so important today. Because God wants you to know Him. And He wants you to have an awe of Him. And so He puts this great weight on His Son, the very best revelation of God to us. And so He became in creation. And then He came as the Word. And then He came as a virgin's birth, uh, through a virgin birth. Jesus would be the seed of Abraham, the Messiah Christ, the anointed one, that Davidic king. And Scripture said nations would be his inheritance. Uh, Psalms 2 says he'd shatter the work of Satan. He would come as the image of God's glory, the messenger of his love. He'd be the new Adam, both son of man and son of God, and meaning that he was the only possible one to take the curse of sin. He was the only possible one to give us redemption because being both fully God and fully man. And we need to be reminded of His glory today. We need to be reminded of His glory today. There's an old hymn that says, Lo, within a manger lies He who built the starry skies. Think about that. Those little hands that was in that manger 
set the stars in motion. And Hebrews verse 5, chapter 1 says, But which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? Who else has God said these things of? That I'll be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. And he brought the firstborn into the world, and he said, Let all of the angels of God worship him. How many angels of heavenly hosts sing your praise on a daily basis? Come on. How many legions of heaven can you call at a moment's notice? How many creatures unknown or unnamed or untold in heaven are there at your beck and call rejoicing you? How many mountains and streams and valleys and rocks cry out that there is a John or a Susie or a Kim or a Ron? How many people in this room can say all of creation worships me? Yet creation in the world today, we think there is no God. There is nothing. We're just getting through life. This is all there is. But there is a God of glory. There is a King of glory. That all of creation, all of heaven, sing His praise. And on that day in that manger, all of the angels of heaven worshipped Him. And then we find Him at His baptism. And there the heavens began to open up. And there as Jesus was being baptized by John the Baptist, the Spirit of God descends upon Him illustratedly as a dove. Matthew chapter 3, verse 17 says, And a voice, this is the key, And a voice came out of heaven and said, This is My beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. God began to speak audibly from heaven to confirm this is who I've been trying to tell you about. This is Him, the one. And so as if that dad on that ball game began to honor his son who just hit the home run, the father is in heaven praising his son for being obedient, the word to come down and dwell among us and take on our veiled humanity, our, 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 the place of a suffering servant. And so the God that day honored him as the Messiah, the anointed one. Uh, the Holy Spirit descended upon him, anointing him for the purpose that God had for him. And, and he became our high priest, our mediator, our intercessor for our new covenant of grace. No longer would it be works, but God had come down to us. When we couldn't get any closer to God, God sent his son to come to us. He shows us how to live, how to walk, how to obey the spirit of God. And then we find him through his ministry, and then at his transfiguration on that mount, at this mount of transfiguration to some doubtful disciples. These men who didn't know what they were looking for, they were looking for uh, a, a, a conquering king, one to save them, deliver them from the oppression of Rome, to restore and bring order to this world's chaos. And yes, they were looking for Israel to rise up and take its place and God to fulfill all the prophecies. And there was a hunger in them, but they were still confused and lost and unsure. And that night as they began to pray, a bright cloud, the Bible says, overshadowed them. And behold, a voice again comes out of heaven, out of this cloud, the cloud being the Shekinah glory of God descending upon that mountain, just as it had done with Moses. And again, what does he say? God the Father, speaking of His Son, says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. Listen to Him. We think over and over in the New Testament, they begin to say, Who is this guy 
Who is this guy that even the winds and the waves obey him? Who is this guy that even demons flee at his presence? Who is this guy that can raise the dead, that can uh, open blind eyes, that can open deaf ears, who can heal the leopard? Who is this Jesus fellow who can walk on waters? And God says, this is my son. Listen to him. Listen to him. Look to my son and listen to him. And in that day, in that moment, they saw a great revelation of who God uh, is through Jesus Christ. His countenance changed. His robes became whiter than snow. The Bible even specifically says it was whiter than even if you wanted to try to bleach them. You couldn't get as white as his robe got in that moment. And Jesus comes off the mountain white and glowing and, and in the radiance of God. Who is this Jesus? And then we see him at his moment of death. Again, before his sacrificial and atoning death, Christ is there praying in the garden. John chapter 12 tells us that he began to pray. He says, now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? And he speaks back up to his father. Father, save me. Should I say, save me from this hour? But it's for this purpose I came. And then he says, Father, glorify your name. And then the scripture says, and then a voice came out of heaven. Here's the third time. The third time God has now spoken over his son. And he speaks to his son. He says, I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. That glorify is that same thing that we're saying he is exalting his son. Now, if God is exalting somebody, we ought to take notice and take a listen because he says, I'm, I've both glorified your name and glorified what you've come to do, and I'm going to glorify it again. And so the Father begins to glorify Christ's saving work, and, and as uh, the Father is glorifying the Son, the Son begins to glorify the Father, and there's this great honor that begins to happen. And this great honor begins to happen through His suffering. Why? Because Jesus was obedient to the Father's will and showed us how to live that way. He lived, showed us how to live as a worshiper of God. And God show us how to exalt Jesus. And at that resurrection moment, God shows him the glory he would give him. God raised up Christ and gave him the first place in everything, Colossians 1.18 says. He became the firstborn of all who be resurrected. He'd sat down at the right hand of majesty in heaven. Uh, and now, Ephesians 1.21 tells us he is afar above all rule all authority, all power, all dominion for all times, and all things are subject to him. I don't care what anybody says up on the news about who's reigning and ruling in what country and where. My God is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is sitting on an eternal throne. Whether you want to recognize it or not, whether you want to live like it or not, I don't care. Because I know Jesus is king. If you want to go follow your own selfish desires, let me tell you, there's going to be a day come where you're going to meet that king face to face. And you're going to have to make a moment. Uh, you're not going to have any other choice in that moment but to bow down and to worship him. Because he is above all things. And in him, all things are held together. All things are subject to Jesus. Look in verse, thing, verse 13, Hebrews 1. I love this. He says, And which even of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make all enemies a footstool under your feet? Why? Because there's no other person who's got the glory from God like Jesus Christ. 
Not even the angels have received the glory that God gave Jesus Christ. No other person has God spoken of so greatly, so highly about than His own Son. And now Jesus' revelation tells us, sits reigning in heaven, robed in white, with a gold sash across, hair white as wool, eyes a flame of fire, feet glowing like bronze, the voice the sound of many thundering rivers, face shining like the sun, and His words piercing every heart and mind. Who is like our Jesus? The one who's been exalted above every name. And God says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, again of His Son. At the name of every, at, so at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And He goes on, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know what that means? God demands all of creation to worship His Son because of the cross He bore for mankind. God demands us worship of Jesus Christ. Who He is demands our worship. And to worship Him is simply this, to give full value and honor to Him. To worship means comes from the word worth. To give worth to something. And we can't give Jesus any worth. Let me hear, let me, let me tell you today, you can't give him anything that God has not already given him. He's got all worth. He's got all value. He's got all respect of all of heaven. He is the God of all gods, the King of all kings. But when I begin to take my rebellious heart, because there's only one thing on this world that is in rebellion against Jesus Christ, and that's you and me. All of creation worships him. There's only one thing not worshiping Him today, and that's us. Because we have the choice. And there's coming a day where everything, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess He is who He says He is. He is who God proclaimed Him to be. And to give worship to Him today means I willfully choose to honor Him. I willfully choose to commit my life and my will to His care. It's to love Him, to serve Him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it means, even in a week like this week, where the devil comes against us and our minds are attacked and we have thoughts that are not holy and pure, we have words that we've said we shouldn't have said or things we've done we shouldn't have done, that we in that moment say, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm turning to You. You are the one who I exalt with my life. I, I turn from thinking this way or living this way or choosing to make my own decisions, but then I choose to give you that, that choice for me. God, I choose to give you the rights to tell me how to think, how to feel, how to walk, how to make the decisions. It's every day my life be for the glory of God that I would get in line with creation and recognize who He says He is. I'm going to tell you today, this is what is wrong with us in the church today. Why millions are leaving is because we refuse to worship Jesus Christ with all that we are. There's no, it's not the technology, it's not the social media, it's not Facebook, it's not the, the culture we live in. It is a simple heart choice to say, I'm going to worship me and my choice, and my decision, and my feelings, and my circumstance. I choose to think what's best for my life, and my will, and my care. Instead, it's not honoring that there is a God who's made the world, who's spoken of this great uh, 
redemptive call that He has for us, that He's longed to be with us, and He has our best interests in mind. I want to love and serve Him with all that I am and recognize what God has said about His own Son. And that's why we worship Him. What happens if we don't? For those who refuse to believe and surrender, or maybe worse, those who believe and turn away, the failure to worship Christ is the most fearful and awful thing. Because who or what compares to Him? The one God has honored most. You see, on Palm Sunday, there was a day before His crucifixion, that Sunday of Passover week, Jesus comes as the Word of God made flesh, fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah that He would come riding on as a humble king on a donkey of peace, a king of peace. And He would come and they would put those palm branches and wave them as a sign of victory, singing Hosanna, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, from Psalms, that would be a psalm uh, being a prophetic fulfillment of a Messiah coming to restore God's order, God's kingdom. And they would come and they begin to sing Hosanna, Hosanna. And what happens? The Pharisees, these religious elite, begin trying to quiet the crowd. Begin to try to silence. They were fearful of a riot, perhaps, from the people that Rome would intervene uh, and, and shut down their Passover celebration. But maybe, perhaps, they were fearful of blasphemy because they didn't have a true revelation of who Jesus was. And Luke chapter 19, verse 40 but Jesus answered and said to them, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. What is Jesus saying there? There's a great tradition that we hold that says that even if uh, we remain silent, even the rocks, the stones will cry out and worship of him in his place. That's very true. It's very possible that he, that's what he's meaning. But the only other place in Scripture where we see this phrase, and the stones cry out, is in uh, Habakkuk. Chapter 2, verse 9. And this is a passage that God was bringing a woe. Now we know that Jesus is going to give a woe to uh, Jerusalem later that week. But in Habakkuk, the prophet begins out of uh, the Spirit's anointing to give a woe upon Israel. And he begins to pronounce judgment on a people who was neglecting God's kingdom. Because they were building their own evil kingdom by their own greed and by their own power and at the expense and off the backs of others. And in that prophecy in chapter 2, verse 9 through 11, God said even the very stones in the wall were going to cry out or were crying out judgment upon the people who were neglecting God's kingdom to build their own. And this is the very verse Jesus is quoting here, that if you don't worship me, these rocks are going to cry out. It's possible... Jesus is saying, if you don't worship me, these rocks will cry out at your judgment to say that you have now neglected the cornerstone. You have neglected to build my kingdom and trying to build your own kingdom. You have not built it upon me, but upon your own flesh, upon your own desires, upon your own carnality. And across the world today, men and women are across the world are neglecting the kingdom of God, even within the local church. They're neglecting the true revelation and the awe of Jesus Christ. And they've become God on their own. Building their own kingdoms by their own earthly desires. Building them on corrupted flesh instead of Christ's own body. 
And they failed to worship the one true God who sent the cornerstone for us to build all of our life upon. And it's for His glory and it's for His kingdom. If you don't cry out and worship God, in a sense, it'll be to your own judgment. You'll bring judgment upon yourself. Every life in this world who does not recognize who He says He is and what God has said upon Him brings judgment upon ourselves. And failing to worship Christ becomes our own peril. Why? Because Christ has the right over all authority and all power. And you and I have no right to deny Him full worship. I want you to think about that today. We have no right to deny Jesus' worship. God has given Him all authority and all power, the place of all honor and all glory. We have no right to deny Him worship. Death has been defeated. Hell held captive. Satan's rebellion crushed. Let me tell you, sir, ma'am, young man, young woman, you've, all, you've lost all hopes of living a life for yourself. Because of Jesus Christ and what He's done, we've lost all hopes at living our own life, our own way. Think about this. All attempts at rebellion, all attempts at selfish living are futile. He's already won. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Every government, every army, the Bible says He'll defeat with a simple spoken word. Our Christ. That's simply to remind our flesh today. Flesh, devil, you've already lost. There's no point in thinking selfish thoughts. There's no point in thinking uh, uh, idolatrous thoughts. There's no point in thinking follow my own dreams, my own ambitions, my own desires because it's all futile. He's already won. All glory will be given to Him. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. So why fight it? Why to try to live on your own? Why try to make your own decisions? Why try to leave your family and go find someone else? Why try to serve your own ambitions and desires with your own economy? Because there's no point in it. He's already won. He's already received all glory, all power. And so we should just give up and worship Him. Why fight it? He's King. He's glory. He's honor. He's a beloved Son, the King of glory. The Lord strong and mighty is His name. There is no other king like our king. And should we not believe and should we not submit and should we not worship, the Bible says we bring judgment and condemnation on our own self. But those who do believe in Jesus Christ, the Bible says in Matthew 10, will not be judged. Hallelujah. Those who serve Him, those who worship Him, those who honor Him with their whole life will not be judged. The wrath of God passes over. The age of grace comes in. And Hebrews chapter 2 verse 3 says, so then let's not neglect so great a salvation. Let's not neglect it. Let's live in the fullness of grace, the fullness of the Holy Spirit and live in awe of Jesus. Because you can either live in awe of Jesus now or He will be awful to you later. Meaning, He will be fearful and terrifying on that day. Because I'd rather willfully choose to serve Him than be made to. Because in this way, He becomes my great Savior. 
my great redeemer, the God who loved me even to death and triumphed over the grave for me, writes my name in the Lamb's book of life, seats me in heavenly places with him, fills me with goodness and mercy all the days of my life, lets me dwell in the house of the Lord forever because I choose to be a worshiper of the King. Does anything in your life compare to Jesus Christ? Do your desires, your wants, your needs, your family, do they compare? Does your career, your money, your health, your hobbies, do they all pale in comparison to who He is? He must be superior in my life. He must be first place in my heart. He's greater than all my victories, and He's greater than all my failures. He's King Jesus. And for those who've got this revelation of His glory, His power and dominion, it brings great comfort and brings great peace and great joy because my King is seated on the throne. My King is ruling and reigning today. My King is the King of my heart, and this world is held by His hands. That's great peace. That's great comfort. Psalms 97, and I close with this. Worship team, if you come says, clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him, burns up his adversaries round about. His lightning lights up the world. The earth saw and trembled at it. The mountains melted like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. The heavens declare his righteousness. Here it is. And all the peoples have seen his glory. There is no more revelation of God to be held than the revelation of Jesus Christ. There is no more awe to be held of God than in the revelation of Jesus Christ. It says, the whole earth sees there is a God and trembles. And all of the earth cannot deny that God has sent His Son. There is no historian in the world today of any reputation that denies that Jesus Christ walked this earth. There is no other God that has done what our God has done, has died for His own people. And walked out of that grave untouched by death itself. There's no other God that promises to come back and take His people by grace alone through faith and sit them in heavenly places without working their way into heaven. There is no other God like our God. He's Jesus. Amen? Stand with me today. We are here today for one purpose and one purpose only. I want to ask you today, have you seen His glory? And what is your life's response?